If you're anything like me, you love traditional Egyptian food. But what if I told you there's a way you can get it right here in Mississauga? Karas Shawarma will be opening its first Egyptian and Mediterranean-focused restaurant called Karas Egyptian Restaurant. They'll be located at 1250 Eglinton Avenue West, just across the Canadian Coptic Center. They'll bring you dishes like duck with ro'et, molokheya, bechamel, lamb chops, and much more. For their soft opening, they'll be serving dishes like kibda sandwiches, sogo, hawaushi, and more. Wow, that sounds incredible. Guys, to get all the details on their soft open, just go to their website, Karas, K-A-R-A-S, EgyptianRestaurant.com, and make sure to go support. That's Karas, EgyptianRestaurant.com. everyone and welcome back to the lion's den podcast this is episode number 41 i'm your host fanny and i got a very special guest with me today and this guest comes highly recommended uh, as a person and as a profession uh, what we're going to talk about because i know a lot of people were interested to hear about um law school and, and you know hear the perspective of a lawyer uh and so i'm happy to announce that i'm speaking with marina today so everyone welcome marina to the show how are you i'm well thanks how are you I'm doing very well. Thanks so much for your time. I, I appreciate it. And um, I know people are very excited for this conversation. So thank you for joining. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. I'm excited too. So uh, tell me about uh, your last few few weeks, few months. I know the world has been upside down on us. And, and I think you, you live in Toronto. You live in the city. I do. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's been pretty heavily uh, changed, I guess, from, from a year ago. So what's your last few months been like? Uh, from a work perspective and just from around the city and just with COVID and the lockdowns. Sure. So you actually caught me at an interesting time because I just made a bit of a career change. So um, in December, I left uh, my previous employer, which was a law firm called Osler. Um, and now I'm practicing in-house at PwC, the one of the big four accounting firms. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, I mean, it's different in, from that perspective, but my practice is kind of touches upon the same thing. So you caught me in a, in a career move and then Interesting. with lockdown and stuff, it's just been really like really got, got into this work from home yeah. grind. So it looks, it looks very different than a year ago for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I was actually going to ask you like, what's it like starting a new job in, in quarantine, like starting a new job online? Is that weird or? Has it been an okay transition? Um, so it's been okay. And I think I, I felt lucky because um, I was actually at PwC before I, I was at OSA. So I'm going back to like the, my previous employer. Um, so it was helpful because I knew most of the team that I was joining and, um, you know, kind of like already knew what resources I had available to me and how to navigate those. I think it would have been much more challenging and much more difficult starting a, like, yeah, starting a, a new, completely brand new role working from home. It, it is a little bizarre and, you know, you don't get those like a lot of like starting a new job, especially in a corporate setting is like social yeah. and um, getting to meet people and getting to know people. And so I, it wasn't too bad because I knew a lot of people already, but yeah, it certainly, certainly would have been a lot more challenging if I had it. 
Yeah, no, I I don't I totally understand where you're coming from, and I know a bunch of people that have actually started working uh, new jobs in the last few months, and they started them online, and it's just a it's a transition, you know. I, that seems to be the norm for now, at least for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. So we'll see if we'll see if things go back to um to normal. But uh, let let's talk about you know your profession specifically. So you you did law school. So can you tell us about your journey prior to that? So when did you know? Or when did you sort of have that passion or fall in love with with law and want to pursue it? Sure. I mean, that's a tough question because I don't think I had um, like an aha moment. I think I had a lot of little moments where I'm just was constantly in reflection of like what my next step should be. Um, And I don't think I really looked more than a few steps ahead at any given point. So um, I think really it goes back to high school where probably like a lot of other Coptic um, teenagers, especially of our generation, it was very like science focused. And that was like, you know, I I had this like thing in my head where I was going to go to go into one of these health sciences programs and become a doctor and um, I didn't get into when I was applying to university in grade 12, I didn't get into like my top pick for the, one of these health sciences programs. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was a shoe in and I kind of like really had like a big ref- like reflection moment. I'm like, okay, well, if I don't, I don't really want to do it. If it's not that program, do I even want to do science at all? And I yeah. really, I pivoted in like May of grade 12 Um, and I applied to like the only business, the only university business program that was still accepting applications that late. And that was McMaster commerce. Um, thankfully I got in and and I went to McMaster and even doing the commerce program, I like focused in marketing and it was always, um, just this constant, like, I guess, exploration of what it is that I wanted to do. So I did a lot of like extracurriculars. Um, I actually took a year. Part of our program was this optional internship, which I decided to do. So I actually took a year between my third and fourth year and I did an internship at um, RIM at BlackBerry when kind of <laughs> everything started to <laughs> fall apart that summer. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was going to say like, I haven't, I haven't heard of people working at RIM in a very long time, but yeah. that used to be a very popular co-op spot like yeah. back when we were in university. Exactly. So I was there for about a year and a bit. And it was in that time where I'm like, okay, I'm not sure I want to do this. Um, I wasn't in a purely marketing role, but like, I'm like, I don't know what, you know, I'm going to do with my degree. And in while I was doing my internship, I decided to write the LSAT. And um, I was always interested in it. You know, people always commented that like, oh, you're very opinionated and argumentative. You'd be a good, <laughs> good lawyer. The classic Egyptian parent argument for me, that that's the one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I wrote the LSAT. I did well on the LSAT. Um, and then I I applied. So I went back to for my fifth year, my fourth year of undergrad, went back to McMaster and I um, applied to law schools. And I told myself that, you know, I, I didn't give myself a sort of a plan B. I only applied to Canadian law schools. And I'm like, if I don't get into Canadian law schools, I'm just going to use my marketing and, and go into marketing or advertising. Yeah. That was kind of my backup plan. So I got into Western 
Um, and I went to Western and, and yeah, no, it was, it was great. So that was kind of how the, the whole journey began. It was, it was never this like aha moment where I'm like, I'm born to be a lawyer and this is yeah. my like passion in life. It was always just like a series of like, what do I think I want to do next? And what am I interested in enough to like for it to hold my attention and, and, you know, go through another three years of school? Yeah, definitely. And that's, that's so interesting. Cause actually, I know a handful of lawyers that did have the business background. So they'll do a business undergrad and then do their LSAT and mm-hmm. go that route. So I think that that's a little bit more common. But it's interesting to hear that perspective. Because in your case, it's very different in the sense where you had a fallback plan, like you had a piece of paper that you know secured you and you had a job experience in that industry that you're right. like, okay, well, if this doesn't work out, I'm sure that there's, you know, I'm going to be okay and, and eventually find a job in my field. Whereas a lot of people that go into this and they're like, this is it. This is like, this is it. Like I'm going to do that. So I want to know like the, the competitiveness of it, because I I'll be honest with you. I tried to write the LSAT. Yeah. I think it was in my third year and I did the course and everything. And that they, they just so happened to put the exams right in the heart of your midterms for like yeah. actual school. And, um, and I ended up chickening out. I didn't do it, but I was not ready. And it's a tough course. Like, so I want to hear the the competitiveness, especially of someone, you know, from someone who went to school to law school here in Canada, how competitive is it to get in? And when you're in there, what's the culture like? Sure. Um, it's definitely competitive to get in, like very competitive to get in. Um, I did like, I can't remember what I got in the LSAT. That was a million years ago, but I, I did really well on the LSAT. And I think I had like, I don't know, like a B plus average in undergrad. It wasn't, they weren't the grades of someone who was super competitive for law school in particular, um, because I was going through the business program and I was more focused on sort of beefing up my resume because most of the sort of what you needed to do to do well in your field coming out of a business program was to focus on your resume and, you know, the advice, the messaging coming from, um, our professors and, and, and our recruitment, um, aides at the university was like, make sure you have extracurriculars. And, you know, as long as you have like moderately good grades, you'll do fine. But like employers care about your experience. So, when I pivoted and decided to write the LSAT between my, my third and fifth year, um, it, I kind of like didn't set myself up in a, in a great way. And so my, my LSAT was good. That was lucky, but my grades were, I don't think super competitive. Um, so I think I, so I applied, I think applications were due um, depending on the university between like Halloween and Christmas and I think I got like a rejection from U of T before I had even finished applying, <laughs> like the rest of the schools. So there was there was a few universities where I knew it was a long shot. U of T, UBC, where they actually have like a. I mean, when at the point where I was applying on their website, they actually had like a matrix where you yeah. need this score and this grade, or if you have this LSAT score, you need at least this grade to like offset um, each other. So I didn't, I like, I saw the matrix. I'm like, I'm not going to get in, but I'm just going to apply anyway. I just applied very broadly. Um, and then Western, I really like, I I don't have any confirmation of this, but Western is a more business focused program. And so I think they appreciated, 
um, my resume. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think they appreciated my resume, my business background. Um, you know, I, I tried to rel- write a good personal statement. So I think, <laughs> I really think it was those other things that got me into Western, mm-hmm. um, in yeah. particular and, and Western was one of my top picks actually. So as soon as I, I got in, I kind of canceled yeah. my applications elsewhere. So I don't know where else I would have ended up, but, um, that's awesome though. That's very fortunate to end up in, in Western. It's only about an hour and a half out and, and honestly, yeah. like, Better than being in the big city. I went to school in, in St. Catharines, so like yeah. a very London-esque type city. And mm-hmm. I fell in love with that smaller city vibes. Like, And it's funny because when I went to school out there, I met so many people from like small towns. And they were like, oh, man, St. Catharines is such a big city. I'm like, big city? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are you talking yeah. about, big city? It's like a fifth of the size of Mississauga. No yeah. way. So, no, uh, I mean... I, in retrospect, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have changed anything. I like, I'm, I'm so happy I went to Western and like the friends I made there are like people, you know, I'm, I like my best friends now. So there's, there's no regret, but I mean, in terms of competition, it's an incredibly tough, um, incredibly tough program to get into Canada wide, even with the new addition of law schools, um, popping up every every once in a while but it's it's still incredibly competitive yeah i i definitely believe that and like i was saying in the beginning of the show like a lot of people have reached out and and wanted to hear the perspective of a lawyer and one of the main things that i'm hearing is they, they want to hear about like how you or any lawyer for that matter maneuvered the the mental strain of law school right like there's so much and and they talk about like there's a certain culture and like in mm-hmm. law school and like it's just it's very stressful so how did you cope with that and, and what are some things that you did to, to help you with that and something that you know someone listening to this could implement and help them as well yeah no that's a great question um so so as competitive as it is to get in that's one hurdle once you're in law school um it's a slog and it's and it's really so you're taking you know really smart people um, and really type A personalities and you're sticking 200 of them in a competitive program where they grade on a curve. So there's only so many A's that they give out, you know, so <laughs> you're taking people who are used to getting straight A's for the most part. I think I'm an anomaly in that I, I was a B, B undergrad student, but like for the most part, you're taking really, um, really smart, really type A, really perfectionist personalities and then having them compete against each other and it can be really tough um while you're in school to deal with that and my uh method of sort of coping with that um I got you know again like I was so so lucky to meet like my who the person who became my roommate in law school and I met her on day one and we like clicked instantly and she we were like like-minded didn't care to compare ourselves to the rest of our class um and the rest of our cohort and we really kind of stuck together and Mm -hmm. and studied together and um we did not study in the law library like all of first year because we just we didn't need to be around um just like that competition constantly. Yeah, for sure. So we weren't and anti-social. We were actually very like incredibly social and like went to all the social events and like made lots of friends. But when it came to like the studying and the 
um, the academics. We really siloed ourselves and like, we're very deliberate about like the people we let into like a little like study bottle, a bubble. Yeah. And I can, I can see that being extremely strenuous, like studying around people from your program because you'll, you'll start looking around like subconsciously and realize like, Oh my God, they look like they're doing way more than I am. They look Mm -hmm. like they're way more prepared than I am. Then you start getting in your own head and it gets, it gets crazy. But, and then, I don't know. There's like a some people are like pulled or like feel the need to study in those specific areas for whatever reason. I think I think you just have to maybe step back from that situation is what I'm taking from what you guys did. Yeah. And I think it's also like about knowing yourself. Right. Like so I know how I learn and I know how I study and I know how I uh, what what has brought me to this point has worked so far so I didn't want to change that some people are driven by the competition some people like thrive in like hearing what other people are doing and like you know that that drives them that is not what it does to me if I hear too many people talking about like what it is that they did or what they're doing or how they're preparing um it I actually get like it's a little demoralizing for me I'm like I can't I can't hear it so yeah, yeah. it really is, I think, so that was my method, but that was my method because I knew it would work for me. So I think it's also important to to keep in mind yeah, how sure. you do your best work. Absolutely. Um, now, I want you to talk a little bit about the structure of law school because I don't really know much about it. And I don't I, I never went to med school, but I have a lot of friends or I've spoken to people who have. So I kind of understand and with med school, you go in and it's general and then you kind of pick what it is that you want after you get exposure to different kinds, uh, mm-hmm. of, you know, parts of, of the hospital, whatever the case may be. Is right. that the same with law school? Do you, do you go in and is it generic and then you sort of pick whether you want, whether it's criminal or commercial or technology, whatever kind of law that you want from there? Like, how does it work from from the student's perspective? Right. So. Um, every law school, I think, has their own method, but my understanding is that, and how it was for me, was, so law school's three years in Canada, and your first year, um, when I was at Western, we had seven courses that were mandatory, um, and everybody does the same seven courses in the first year, so it's like, criminal, constitutional law, legal writing, um, contracts, towards like all your sort of fundamental like building blocks of law. And then in your upper years, um, there are, I, I believe if I remember correctly, there's still a few, yeah, there are still a few um, mandatory courses that you have to take. So I think everyone has to take corporate law at some point. Um, and ethics and and civil procedure so so certain classes are still mandatory but then aside from those it's really like whatever you're interested in in terms of the course offering um and you don't there's no like specialization i mean some universities might have a specialization if you take enough courses in in a certain stream you might get like some notation um but in terms of like what you need to practice um, you don't actually need to take anything specific. And the way it works is because a lot of um, firms do on-campus recruitment. So if you wanted to practice, say, real estate law, you don't technically need to take real estate in university, but you would have a hard time convincing 
like a real estate lawyer that you have an interest in real estate if you haven't taken the course. So it's kind of like a catch 22 where you don't formally technically need to take any of these courses, but in order to get hired at a firm that practices the kind of law that you want to practice, you have to show a demonstrated interest in it. And how do you demonstrate that interest if not by taking the courses? Yeah, for sure. Um, So can you just tell our listeners what kind of law it is that you chose? And could you just explain what that is or what it entails? Sure. Um, So I'm, I'm, in the technology industry, I'm a commercial lawyer, and that's a subset. So I'll, I'll sort of start from like the top and like work my way down and get more specific. So in Ontario, um, you have when you when you're called to the bar, you're admitted to the practice of law in Ontario. You get um, you're admitted as a barrister and a solicitor. And in the UK, that's it's a lot more formal that. Uh, distinction because you only get admitted as one. So here I technically um, could go to court one day as a, as a barrister or a litigator or practice business law, which is a solicitor. Um, so I picked business. I knew I always like I, I had a business background. Um, I always wanted to do business law. And then within business law, there's just a myriad of different types of practices um, and I think a lot of people, you know, hear corporate law and, and mergers and acquisitions, and that's where you're working with, with like companies buying other companies, either public or private. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm, com- so I'm not corporate, I'm, I'm a commercial lawyer. So commercial, how I kind of explain the distinction between corporate and commercial is commercial is kind of like the day to day contracting, whereas corporate are like these like big, these big deals that people talk about, like the, the acquisition of, of um, assets or other or other company, whereas commercial is kind of like the day-to-day contracting. So um, I, I used to work with technology startups that were commercializing their products and the contracts they, they enter into with their, with their customers and the terms of service, for example, that you like agree to when you download an app or their vendor agreements, that those are all commercial contracts. Um, so technology law is not really a specific practice of law. It's just commercial law that is in the tech industry. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. and so there's, there's so many like different kinds of like commercial practices. And then you have people who have like hybrid practices. Like there's a lot of my old colleagues at the firm who, um, were in our health practice and they have, you know, some of that is commercial health work and some of that they actually go to like arbitrations and disputes. And so they're also litigators. So there is a lot of different ways to practice law in Ontario. And, um, even if you like just narrow it down to like wanting to do business law, there's a million different ways to do that as well. So, um, from the outside looking in, I, I get why it's confusing. And I get why um, when I tell people I'm a commercial lawyer, they're just like, what does, what, what does that mean? <laughs> what do you do? Very interesting. It's, it is honestly very confusing because, you know, when you, when you think of a lawyer, you think of courtroom, like that's mm-hmm. the first thing that comes to mind. And you think of criminal law, criminal law, like, okay, when I think of a lawyer, I'm thinking of a murder trial, judges and everything. Right. But there's so much more to it. And and, I mean, earlier in the call, you said you're working in-house with a with a firm, um, PwC. Mm -hmm. So 
I want to hear from you. Like, what are the different options that lawyers have? Because honestly, to me, I thought you graduate. Boom, you're in you're in the courtroom. Like you're maybe not in a murder trial, but you're in some sort of trial in the courtroom. And that's that. Or you're like representing a company or something. I didn't know that you can work in-house. But like it mm-hmm. makes sense now that I know that every every big corporation has a legal department. Um, mm-hmm. But I want to hear from you. Like what are the different options that um, that lawyers have after graduation? There are so many different options. And um, I think, you know, the way that Ontario law schools, I think there's, um, they don't do the greatest job, at least like Western didn't. And and my understanding from like my peers and people around my year of call or like people who were admitted to the bar at the same time as me, um, there isn't a ton of education about like your possible career options um because you have like a lot of like the big bay street firms come to campus they do their recruitment and you get caught up in that process and that seems like the only or best option um when there's so many there's so many things you could do so there's a distinction between private practice which is um practicing like at a law firm or on your own and providing your services to a, a different clients and then there's private practice or there's you can practice in-house um, and in-house is you basically you are on the legal department or you're on, in the, the the general counsel's office at a company so my work now for only for PwC they're my only client I'm employed by them and I only do work for them um, okay. so that's that's in-house and then so that's even, another thing too. So yeah. Sorry to interrupt you, but you no, are employed ahead. by them. You're not. You're not like billing them for your hours. It's not like you're you're contracted. You are no. actually employed by PwC. That's right. That's right. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So that's in house, and then there's you know just there's so many different ways to practice, and um, even so, I would say there's in-house is kind of obvious. Like you can work for any company, and and that's the sort of variation that you get. And then in in private practice, you can work at like these enormous firms. There there are some firms that are national. That are there are some firms that are international. Um, there are some firms that only have um, like a, just one like Toronto office, for example. There are some regional firms or the GTA. Um, so there's literally every every size of firm, and then uh, and then those firms have just every kind of practice. So um, if you're in litigation, so if you're one of the lawyers that goes to court, you can be, you know, primarily defense or primarily plaintiff. So um, it, there's there's just so many different options. And, and it's honestly, like, I remember, like, Googling at one point, it was like, what, <laughs> what, what can do I, I do? do with my law degree? <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. So and, like, I didn't have... You know, I went to law school not really knowing that many lawyers and like I didn't have anyone in my family who was a lawyer. And like I couldn't like before I started law school, I could not name a single law firm Um, just just to give you that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And it's I mean, I don't I'm sure I can probably like dig and name you maybe two. I don't really know that many. And it's funny because you think like PwC. Oh, I know PwC and I'm not in that field. But yeah, these big firms. But then when it comes to like law firms, you're like wait who what yeah like 
what are these it's like it's like a foreign world like i feel like they make it hard on purpose so that no one understands what's going on in there yeah <laughs> it's, no it's you're complex. right <laughs> no that's 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 right <laughs> um so so marina i was looking into some numbers um because every time i you know i don't know this i didn't know this rather prior to looking into the numbers but i figured i would look and see um how females are represented in terms of lawyers in canada and i was mm-hmm. actually surprised to hear that um more than half more than half of the lawyers i think it's just rough like maybe like 51 percent, but just over 50 percent of lawyers are female so there's a lot of them mm-hmm. but when we're looking at like senior leadership mm-hmm. um, it's so 12 percent of of senior leadership are males and four percent are females that, that so there's triple the amount of males in senior leadership uh meanwhile there's actually more lawyers that are female than male so i want to hear from you like have you felt this at all in your career um and if you have like how do you personally deal with that yeah um so yeah no it's definitely something an industry-wide issue um, if you even go to the statistics on how many women are admitted to law schools and how many get hired, I think there's a discrepancy there. So I think more women are getting into law schools, but less are getting hired at the first instance. Um, and it's, you know, I think there was the, the practice of law was incredibly um they were, it was very, it was like an old boys club. Like not, I know it's such a, like, it's such a cliche, but it really was. Mm -hmm. And there are some elements of that that are still lingering. Um, I think there is a conscious effort, especially by the big firms, the big Bay street firms to, because they're under a microscope. Right. Um, so yeah, so they're, 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 you can see the conscious effort to improve those numbers. Um, there's, you know, there's a, I don't think they're moving at a pace that's acceptable, but um, at least it's on the radar. And it was tough um, as an articling student, I think actually, because you're in this position where um, you're, so I don't know if you know about the articling process, but Articling um, is this process where after you graduate from law school, you have to do 10 months um, where you're practicing under the supervision of a licensed lawyer who's your articling principal. And then um, after those 10 months, uh, you get fully licensed when you pass the bar as well. So it's, it's those two components. You have to pass the bar and you have to complete the 10-month articling. And then you're fully licensed and you can do whatever. Um, but the way the big firms do it is they hire, they go into campuses, they hire students to article at their firms. And then there's these like higher, it's called hire back, right? So there, mm-hmm. it's no, if there's a question of whether like after your 10 months is done, whether or not you're going to get hired back to the firm as an associate. And, um, as an articling student, I kind of felt the, um, the negative impacts of like the sexism in the industry and who, you know, who gets access to senior leaders because, you know, they, they are like, you know, can talk about the old boys club and like talk about their favorite whiskey. And like, it really did at certain instances and not always. And like, 
Um, I don't think it was like unique to the place that I articled. I think the whole industry is like this, but there is certainly um, times where if the, the, the industry isn't careful and the leaders in the industry aren't careful, they end up ostracizing um, members of their, their firm and especially articling students who are, you know, vulnerable and, and don't want to speak up because they're in a very precarious position um, where they end up isolating these people because they, even inadvertently, because they, they don't, just don't take into consideration, you know, what it means to be like a woman in practice. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I felt it sometimes. I think, you know, I the, the first time I felt like, um, you know, even like even like the the fact that like I'm not white like that also happened for the first time in law yeah, school yeah. and and uh working at a firm and you know having people like just you know we're talking we've talked this last year I think a lot of people are being educated about like microaggressions and um just little things that kind of chip away at your confidence and like your your confidence in in if if where you are is where you're supposed to be and your sense of belonging yeah. in the practice. And I think that's a shame that women and racialized um, lawyers have to go through that and question their worth because then you get these like legacy um, lawyers who, you know, their entire families are lawyers and their dads are the chair of like this, this law firm and then on sitting on this board and stuff. And so, and, and never, ever question they're uh, belonging to to the industry, whether or not they're good lawyers. So yeah, um, it's something that's improving. I don't, I don't have, um, I don't think you know it's improving at uh, the rate that I'd like to see it at. But it certainly is. We are making progress. Yeah, that was one thing I was going to mention as well. Is have you experienced that cultural setback as well? Because that's also another thing when you look at like media and how they portray lawyers and, and th- it's all Caucasian people. You yeah. know, it's, it's for the most part, I don't want to say all because that's generalizing, but for the most part, the, the image is like slick back hair, long trench coat, like, yeah. you know, that, that kind of personality. And, yeah, yeah. and I'm Mike sure Ross. that, yeah. you know what I mean? And I'm yeah. sure like absolutely that it's like that in the professional world. So I'm glad that you brought that up because I was definitely going to ask that for sure. Yeah. And it makes a difference when your immediate team and the people who you practice with are aware and actively trying to combat that as like, and are not just leaving you to like face those things on your own. Like, so for example, like I remember I was on a call um, and you know, there was like the opposing counsel or the the lawyer at the other firm, um, you know, spoke to me in a very different tone. And he spoke to like my male colleague and right. um, someone's like, no, like that's not right. And, and spoke up. So I didn't have to. And like my friend who is a litigator, um, you know, you hear stories where the same thing, like the, the, the way that like lawyers talk to them or they talk to their more junior but male counterparts um as if they're the lead on the file so it's just like these little things that just make practice um practicing as a woman like just it's just one thing one more thing that you have to like deal with because it's already a difficult profession one more chip on your shoulder (laughs) yeah yeah and you know so it's just 
if you asked any, any woman practicing, they're going to have a story like this. But, um, I think I, my personal experience, I I've been lucky to be on teams where the support has been there. And so it's really, um, I don't think about it on the day to day, the way some people face it on the day to day, but that, you know, it's, it's really unfortunate. Yeah, no, it is unfortunate. And now that we talk about this now, I'm like super interested to hear from a perspective of someone who's, let's say like a prosecutor or something in a courtroom like, Yeah, and a female, like, well, what's that like? And it does it come down to like how decisions are made in terms of, you know, what the judge picks? Like that would be so interesting to just like hear well, the perspective of that. That's really funny that you say that because there is actually like, and, I, and this is something, this is what I wanted to mention is that the entire like system and the entire legal industry and the, and the laws themselves have this like built in sexism that you uh, were just now starting to like acknowledge and do yep. something about. So mm-hmm. the way, you know, you see like the way sexual um, assault cases are dealt with and the way they're reported on and the way that, uh, you know, the, these victims are questioned in, in courtrooms um, we're starting to question that because, you know, the underlying assumption or there's an underlying bias um, against women it, written into the law. So it, it goes yeah. it goes beyond just like the practice and like getting into leadership. It actually goes to the spirit of the law as well. Um, and it's really interesting because it's it's something that like you you think of the law and you think the law is like a fair set of rules. But it was it was written down and it was created and thought up by, by people at a certain point. And, and at that point, you know, um, you have to think about like where women like sat in society. So it's, it's such a big conversation. And I think we could probably take up this whole episode just talking about that. For sure. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's really, there's, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of work to be done. No, no, there's a lot of work to be done. You're absolutely right. And, and yeah, there's so many things that you don't even realize. And it's just the changing of how you even have a conversation about certain things. And, and I think yeah. that, you know, at, at least we're seeing things progress and move in that direction. So that's, that's good. And, you know, I hope that it continues to get better for your sake and for other women practicing as well. It's just, you know, like you said, it's already a very tough profession as it is. There's many barriers to get to, you know, to before I get to this point. So yeah. just don't create, don't create more for me, bro. Don't just don't. <laughs> You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's exactly right. Um. Okay. So let's uh let's move over because I didn't really ask this earlier, and okay. obviously the whole idea of of why I created this podcast is to it's targeting Coptic people. So I want to hear from you because your path is very unique, and you mm-hmm. talked about how law was sort of something that you thought of and it, and you explored it, and it wasn't really like I didn't I didn't have to do this. It was just like it happened, and it was great, and it ended up being my profession. So. Mm-hmm. You didn't feel any societal pressure at all to, to pursue that kind of program. Like, I know you mentioned the, the comments of like, hey, you're, you're super argumentative. You should definitely yeah. do this. Um, but did you actually feel like a pressure to pursue that kind of profession or a profession? Like, I know you were considering medicine prior to that. Was yeah. that, would you say, was that culturally um, infused? Definitely. Law, not specifically law. Actually, I think I remember... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if my mom's going to listen to this, but when, when I uh, <laughs> when I got into law school and applied to law school, and I think when I like started it, my mom's like, are you sure you don't want to do medicine? <laughs> and, 
And I'm like, mom, like being a lawyer is a good thing. And my sisters had to like explain that, you know, like it's not these like sleazy, like oily lawyers. Like sometimes I think, I think that's the perception of lawyers in Egypt. So okay. my parents like didn't get that it was like, it's a good, like, it's like a good profession here until like, we're like, no, 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 like this is fine. But yeah, yeah, yeah. no, there was definitely an expectation that uh, I I pursue some sort of professional program. I think my parent, my dad wanted me to go into engineering because my parents are engineers and uh, my mom wanted me to go into science or medicine. And, um, you know, what they got. You didn't either. (laughs) I didn't either. My sister's a pharmacist, (laughs) so they got one. (laughs) Yeah, they got one of them. Yeah. But yeah, no, so there was it's just this expectation is like the the baseline I think growing up like and I don't feel like um it didn't it didn't feel like pressure it just felt like this is you know this is what you do like you're smart you work hard like you go into like x or y or z profession um and I'm glad that I a like pivoted from health and went into business and then and then found law in in that time and um you know my parents I think you know my mom made a joke like are you sure you still don't like you don't want to do medicine anymore but they were incredibly supportive along the way and and really helpful and and were not picky about what I did as long as they saw like forward movement yeah yeah and and I'll be honest like when I I ask this question obviously on every podcast because I like to hear you know how people ended up where they are Um, Mm -hmm. and and for the most part like their parents are definitely supportive of what they do and and I haven't heard had someone come on here and try you know bash their parents say they're Mm -hmm. not supportive (laughs) at all you know I think I think all of our parents give those recommendations but it just sounds like it not sounds like I know for a fact it comes from a good place and they just want you to be comfortable. And uh, it's just it's a lack of education on options. And that's at the end of the day, yeah. what I want to do is to show that there's so many options like and like how, you know, you finish law school and you have a plethora of things that you can do. Like mm-hmm. there's so many different options that you can find success. in. so I think it's it's important to just shed that light. So I, I appreciate you. You talking about that. And yeah. um, my last question for you, Maria, before I let you go, have the rest of your evening. Um, do you have aspirations in the future of ever starting your own practice or is that not something that's crossed your mind at this point? I mean, it has crossed my mind and we, so the way I was kind of telling you how I got into law or is just like constantly thinking about what makes sense in terms yeah. of, of taking a next step. I think that that still applies here. Like I, even within my practice of law, you know, I was at, um, like in an international firm. And then I went in-house at Honda and then I went to PwC and then I was at a, a, a I went um, back into private practice into technology and now I'm practicing technology, but in-house uh, I've jumped around a lot. And yeah. I think that's because I keep, I, I, I don't, I, I'm trying not to um, take steps with the pressure of like, what am I going to do with my life and what am I going to be and what kind of lawyer am I going to be in 10 years? I'm trying to focus on the next step. Um, And I think the pressure of like your whole career ahead of you makes the practice so much harder. And it kind of segues back into, you know, the pressure of law school and the mental health of law school. Um, 
it, that continues on in practice. I think articling was probably the worst 10 months, uh, like just the worst 10 months of my life. And because I just had this, like, if I don't get hired back into this firm, uh, like what, like, I'm just going to flounder, like, what am I going to do? And mm-hmm. and I just yeah. had this pressure of like, I have to get hired back and then I have to like, you know, become a, a, a junior associate and then, a, and then a senior associate and then partner. And I, and I thought I had, you know, my next like 20 years, like at least my next 10 years mapped out. Mm-hmm. And that's just yeah. so much pressure to put on yourself at any point in your practice. Um, and it really like took a toll. So I, that's why I'm kind of trying to now like take that pressure off and just take the steps that make yeah. sense at any given moment and 100%. reassess. And I think because, so I, I didn't get hired back. That's how I, that's, that's how it started. That's how it started. Um, okay. Yeah. So I didn't get hired back and Look I, look at me now. Look at me now. <laughs> no, it's not even look at me now. It's like <laughs> I was a mess. And then I landed on my feet. And yeah. and then the next opportunity, you know, wasn't also wasn't for me. I did a year contract at Honda and I decided I didn't want, didn't want to do that. I just kept finding my footing. And the more I did it, the more I realized that it's not a big deal. And the pressure of, of the future doesn't have to be something that you like your whole future doesn't turn on like one decision basically. Yeah. And so that's why now I'm, I'm like, nothing is off the table. Like, yeah, maybe one day I'll own my own practice. Maybe, maybe I'll go back into private practice. You know, it's just, there's, there's no telling. Um, I'm just trying not to make decisions based on like what, what I think life is going to be like in 10 years, because you know, I think COVID and 2020, what 2020 yeah, was really put really, that in perspective. Yeah. You, mm-hmm. nobody saw that coming. So it's kind of, it's just, it's just so much pressure to put on yourself to try to plan 10 years ahead and make a decision now yeah, that yeah. is going to like be this like chess game. Like I'm not playing yeah. chess. I'm, I'm yeah. playing checkers and I'm taking it. I'm taking it one. I'm, I'm one, playing one snakes step and ladders. Maybe, maybe connect four. <laughs> I might be playing connect four. Connect I'm, I'm four looking, is a good one. Yeah. I'm looking a little bit into the future, but not yeah. so hard that like a 10 year old couldn't do it. So yeah, um, yeah I mean, I, that's, that's part of it. Uh, and I also wanted to mention, I know I wanted to mention this when we were talking about um, law school and, and I will let you go after this, but um, <laughs> there is like in the profession and in law school, there is a big problem with like mental health and substance abuse. And if you look at the statistics in, when you're talking about like alcoholism and drug abuse and depression and anxiety, the rates among lawyers are just way higher than for the general population. And it's, I think it, it starts with like what I talked about before of being this pressure cooker. We're taking type A personalities and then putting them in a room competing with each other and then making people who, who felt smart their whole lives feel inferior because you're comparing them to an impossible standard, um, to a standard of perfection, frankly, uh, what you get is a bunch of like alcoholic drug abusing, anxious wrecks. Yeah. And, and I think uh, that also probably contributes to the old boys culture too. 
Um, yeah. Because that you feel that like entitlement of like, I made it through this hellhole. You can't talk to me. Like I'm better than you. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to mention that for anyone who's like interested in, in joining the profession and going to law school, there are so many resources now um, that I wish I had taken advantage of during law school and in articling. So if you're, if you're a law student listening to this, there's actually um, the law society of Ontario actually has like free um, mental health counseling on their website. You go in and, and it's available to all like members of the law society. So that includes students and paralegals and lawyers, and you can talk to a counselor and I actually did like I started that this year and it was night and day um, just, you know, it's like my outlook and what how how I feel about the profession. I think if you had asked me to do this a year ago, you would have gotten a very cynical, <laughs> cynical <laughs> version of me. Um, but yeah, no, it's 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 a lot. And, you know, I got lucky in law school that I found like I found my rocks like I found like five friends that are, you know, still my best friends now. And, and we talk about everything and nothing. And, um, can, can I, I was, I'm happy I had that outlet then because I didn't know about the law society. But if, if you don't have, you know, those friends or you don't find those people, a lot of people treat law school, like it's just, um, like a, ta- they're very task oriented about it. Mm-hmm. So they don't yeah. care to, uh, or don't prioritize the social aspect of it. And that's totally fine because it is a professional program and you're there for a reason, but at least there's this outlet where it, like you can talk about the pressure. And it's funny because a lot of the counselors who are part of the law society service were our ex lawyers. So they know exactly what you're talking about when you talk about it. Um, and it's just an invaluable resource. So I, I would have kicked myself if we got through this conversation and I didn't mention that and just kind of put it out there for people who are listening. Um, because as hard as it is, it doesn't have to be quite so hard. Yeah. I like that. That's a nice little mic drop to, to end that. And this, this was <laughs> awesome, Marina. Thank you so much. Um, you, yeah. you gave a lot of insight on law school and, and the intricacies and how to deal with, you know, the mental health aspect of it. So, Uh, I appreciate you and I know all the listeners also appreciate this. So thank you so much. My pleasure. I really, I hope, I hope it's helpful. It definitely is. Thank you. Thanks. Okay. See ya. Okay. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Marina, man. What a conversation. I, I, as somebody who wanted to, at some point in their life, pursue law, I asked a lot of those questions as if it were me applying to law and going through that and it was just an amazing conversation to learn about you know the ins and outs of the law school and law programs here in Canada uh, the options that lawyers have after like I didn't know any of that and I'm not sure if how many people actually did so I hope if you are going through this and you're going law, through law school that the conversation with Marina really helped um, if you want to connect with her and if you want to connect with um, myself to, to be put in touch with her just let me know um I'm sure she'd be happy to help and answer any questions that you may have. Uh, and thank you guys so much for the recommendations and, and please continue to support and listen. You know where to find me on Spotify listener and Apple podcasts, make sure you're subscribed and, um, and like the episodes as well. And please keep the, the suggestions coming guys. I will talk to you on the next episode.